0: And welcome back to a fresh episode of Sam's Business Growth Show. Delighted today to be joined by David Meerman-Scott. David spotted the real-time marketing revolution back in its infancy and wrote five books about it, including new rules of marketing and PR with more than 400,000 copies that were sold in English and available in 29 different languages from Albanian to Vietnamese. Now David taps into the mindset that relationships with customers are more important than the products that we sell to them. David, a very warm welcome.
1: How are you doing? Thanks, I'm doing great. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, well, good on this side, my friend. And looking forward to to this conversation. Yeah, me too. I think we're gonna take a a bit of a different angle that we're yet to cover on the show, and home in on how we can turn our customers into fans. Um, But before we get into that, David, perhaps you could give us a couple minutes background on your good self, how you got into the business world. And for anyone that does not know David Mirman, Scott, what you're about, um, if you want to incorporate a story, a bit of background, that would be much appreciated, sir.
1: Sure. Uh, when I got out of university, I thought I wanted to be a bond trader, started working on Wall Street, hated it, was terrible at it. But I loved the information that bond traders were using, companies like Reuters and Dow Jones. And so I went into that industry um, as a marketer, Um, And I spent 10 years in Asia, um, about seven years in Tokyo, the rest in Hong Kong, um, uh, and then came back. um, I live outside of Boston and worked for technology companies here, always focused on this idea of real-time information. Uh, And then about 18 years ago, I was sacked by Thomson Reuters um, and um, started to uh, go out on my own um, to uh, teach people how to reach Um, customers, turn them into fans, on the web, specifically on the web. And this is way pre-social media. And um, fortunately, my books have done well. I've had four international bestsellers. Um, The one that you mentioned, The New Rules of Marketing and PR, has sold like crazy. It's now in the seventh edition. And my latest book, which came out early this year, is called Fanocracy, turning fans into customers and customers into fans. Um, That hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list when it came out. Um, So I'm all about trying to teach people um, to be more human and be more effective in the way they market and not just try to coerce people into doing something. I've been happily unemployed for 18 years.
0: (laughs) Good man. Sounds like a great course. All right, Dave. Well, let's let's jump into the main topic: how we can turn our customers into fans. Perhaps you could give us a bit of background on what that actually means. What what is the process of turning our customers into fans, and, and why is
1: that important? So, I um I wrote this book, Fanocracy, with my. Um, now 28-year-old daughter, Reiko. Actually, she's 27-year-old daughter, Reiko. Um, Reiko and I have the same ideas about fandom. We both had this sense that the things that we're a fan of in our life are so important to us. Um, in my case, I'm a huge, huge fan of live music. I'm gonna take my little camera here and show you my live music hall of fame in my office. Um, I've been to 804 live music shows, 75 Grateful Dead concerts. Uh, And my daughter, Reiko, Is a huge Harry Potter fan. She's not only seen every movie multiple times, read every book multiple times, um, been to the UK to go on the studio tour. The also went to the Wizarding World theme park in Orlando several times. But she wrote an eighty-five thousand word alternative ending to the Harry Potter series, where Draco Malfoy is a spy for the Order of the Phoenix, and put that on a fan fiction site. So she's dug deep into the Harry Potter fandom. Uh, Reiko also happens to be a neuroscientist. Um, She graduated with a degree from Columbia University, uh, then went on to medical school, and is currently an emergency room physician at Boston Medical Center. So we looked at very specifically the neuroscience behind uh, why and how people become fans of a company, a product, a service, an idea, And it turns out that a lot of it is rooted in neuroscience because we humans want to be part of a tribe of like-minded people. So when I'm in a Grateful Dead concert or Reiko is with her Harry Potter friends, that's a tribe. And all of us have an opportunity to build a tribe of like-minded people. That's actually what you're doing right now, Sam, by by doing um, a series like this, and bringing people together um, to learn from people like me. You're building a tribe. And that is such a cool way to build business. And uh, it's a different way than most people do. Got it, man. Um,
0: Now that makes sense. And uh, why is it important that us as business owners or sales professionals or marketers look to follow this process in terms of t- turning our customers into fans? And can you perhaps give us some actionable examples or ways that we can make that happen, David?
1: Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times what people um, in business do is they really, you know, they try to coerce people into doing business with them. They, um, they're just out there trying to sell, 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 mm-hmm. uh, or use the web to try to get you to click on something and put you into their click funnels and whatnot. Um, and I think that what's better is to make a friend, make a fan first. You don't have to sit and pitch your products right away. Um, and then you, and then once you've got the fan base, then they will want to do business with you. They'll be eager to do business with you. And many times, as Reiko and I've been talking about these ideas, people say to us, but I can't build fans. I'm not in the kind of business that can build fans. I'm a, and then they make an excuse. I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm <laughs> an 2 b software company. Um, we do it. We're a commodity business, whatever it is. Um, sure. So Sam, are you a fan of your automobile insurance company?
0: Wouldn't have thought to us. It's a funny uh, you should bring it up because I've actually got to renew my car insurance in the next few days. It's one of those things I always, always leave to the very last minute, David. I hate it.
1: Most people are like that. Most people (laughs) hate their insurance company, don't want to re-up. It's like no fun. I mean, think about it. Insurance, no one wants to write that check. And furthermore, you never want to use the product because it meant you crashed your car. Um, That's why it's so interesting to look at a company called Haggerty Insurance. Um, so we ran across them. I ran across them 18 years ago because I have a 1973 Land Rover Series 3 classic car that's been insured by Haggerty since then. And I always felt like, wow, these guys have built fa- a fandom. So I had a chance to interview McKeel Haggerty, who's the entrepreneurial owner of Haggerty Insurance. And I said, how do you do this? How do you you build your business? And he said, David, everyone in the insurance business is all about either being the low cost provider or spending more money than the other guys on advertising. We had a different approach, he told me. What we did was we went out to grow fans of our business and they've done a fabulous job. So what did they do? They went. They go to well over a hundred classic car shows a year. Now, not so many in the pandemic because of distancing and whatnot. But um, overall, on a typical year, over a hundred car shows, uh, where they meet with people, they provide um, um, free advice. They. Uh, run seminars at the classic car shows. Um, And their focus is 100% on classic cars. They have a YouTube channel with over a million subscribers. They have a driver's club with 650,000 members and and the driver's club are a way for people who share a passion for the same type of car to get together. Um, They um, also realized that they have probably the world's best database of true values of how much classic cars are worth Because they know the amount of money that people are insuring their car for, the value of them. And so they made that that database freely available so that people could gauge how much their car is worth. All of these things are put out there for free, not to coerce people into buying a product right away, but to get them to become a fan first, then they want to do business with Haggerty. They are growing by double digits every single year. They'll grow by 200,000 new customers this year. And they are the largest classic car insurance company in the world. They're now branching out into classic motorcycles, classic airplanes, and classic boats. Fabulous success story, all built on fans. Awesome, man.
0: So it sounds like, like you say, they wanted to be different so that as, as, as you mentioned, many insurance companies, it's a case of, especially I know when I'm doing my insurance and using, yeah. carrying on with that example, I'm usually looking for the, the cheapest rate. that's yeah. going to cover all, all the bits and pieces that I need for my car. I just drive, drive a cheap run around. I'm not really a car guy. My, yeah. Even, even my uh, fiance has got a better car than my, that's <laughs> how not into cars <laughs> I am. So um yeah. And, well, mean, it's, here's, it's-
1: and here's another interesting point on that, on, on that particular example that you just shared about how you do business uh, around insurance is that um, if you build a business based on fandom, if you grow fans of your business, people are reluctant to leave, even if they find a better price, even if they find the better, faster, cheaper alternative. So, you know, like I said earlier, I've been a customer of Haggerty for more than 15 years. I love what they do. I don't mind writing the check to them every year. Um, you know, they send me the magazine every um, every two months, which I love. They they've got all this data that I can access, which I love. And if another company were to approach me and say, "Hey, we also do classic car insurance, and we're twenty five percent cheaper than Haggerty," I'd say, "Thanks a lot. I'm not interested." So that's another cool thing about building fans is that. If you're just selling a product or service, people can leave and will leave for something a little bit better. If you're building fans, fans are reluctant to leave, so you're building for the long term.
0: Yeah, it's a really great example. I like it. And as you mentioned, it sounds like they tapped into quite a few different channels. Be it attending the, the trade shows with the classic cars, be it yep. the YouTube, um, be it creating some kind of forum. It sounded like with a database and making this all free free resources that either existing customers or people that haven't yet used them can tap into and get stuck into. Um, For companies that aren't quite on that kind of scale in terms of established businesses, don't have that kind of investment to put into all these different channels. What would you suggest, David, perhaps for for startups or smaller based businesses or how they can start generating fans?
1: One of the things that's most interesting to me right now, because we're in the middle of of a pandemic is the idea of video using video and that's also, interestingly, rooted in neuroscience. Uh, and the idea of video as being very effective has a very specific root in this idea of neuroscience. And I'll explain it to you. So um, we, um, we humans, as I mentioned earlier, are hardwired to want to be part of a tribe of like-minded people. When I'm with my tribe of Grateful Dead fans, I feel safe and comfortable. When my daughter Rako is with her tribe of Harry Potter friends, she's safe and comfortable. When I'm with classic car owners, perhaps hanging out at the Haggerty booth at a classic car show, I'm safe and comfortable. It's my tribe. Of people. And that's actually rooted in us as a survival technique because okay. you know, going back tens of thousands of years, if you were um, uh, out in the woods or out on the plains with your tribe, and those were people that you um, are familiar with, comfortable with, live with you are much safer than if you're alone or much safer than if you encounter um, a a rival tribe of of some kind or, or wild animals or whatever. And so that actually still sticks with us humans. And so the more a business can build a tribe, the more the business can actually meet with people and Uh, meet with them in the same way that these examples I shared where people are come together is really important. Now I recognize we're in a pandemic which brings us to video, but I want to explain a little bit about this idea of proximity first. A neuroscientist named Edward T. Hall identified different levels of proximity. In other words, how close one human being is to another human being. Further than 12 feet, he called public space. In public space, we know, our brains know that there are people in our public space further than 12 feet away from us. We know they're there, but we don't actively track them. Between 12 feet and about four feet, Edward T. Hall called social space, Many people think that's why we now call it social distancing during the pandemic, keeping people in your social space. Um, And inside of four feet is called personal space. Personal space is sort of cocktail party distance um, or, in a a, at a small table, you across the way from a couple of friends having a conversation. That's um, a personal space. The closer you get to someone, the more powerful the shared emotions are. Um, and as, if you are with people you like in a pub at a cocktail party, you feel safe and secure or at that Haggerty um, uh, tent on the, at the car show or at, the, at a Grateful Dead concert for me, we're safe and secure. You get into a crowded lift. Uh, a crowded elevator, and you don't feel safe because you're with people that are not a part of your tribe. So in normal circumstances, non-pandemic, the more you can get close to people and build fans, the better. But during the pandemic, there's another form of neuroscience um, that comes into play to explain the power of video, and it's called mirror neurons. Mirror neurons are the part of our brains that fire when we see somebody doing something as if we're doing it ourselves, which I'll demonstrate, I've got a lemon and a slice of lemon. And if I take a bite of the lemon, my brain fires and my eyes close and water a little bit, my mouth puckers up and, and saliva glands are doing their thing. And, um, you know, it's a powerful thing to, to bite into a lemon. Did you feel that Sam biting me biting into the lemon because your brain is firing too.
0: With that expression, I could, for anyone that's not tuning in, David squinted his eyes there, just as you can imagine, biting into a quite a bit of lemon. And it's
1: interesting that even people who are only listening to the audio and can't see the video, still feel like they are, pers- they are biting into a lemon, again, from mirror neurons. So here's why this is important for video. Because um, right now, we are filming this as if we're four feet from the audience. Now, I'm currently in Boston, on the east coast of the US, um, I'm probably th- just under 3,000 miles away from you, Sam, and and um, can be 5, 6, 7, 8,000 miles from some of the listeners. You know intellectually I'm not in the same room with you. You know that. However, your mirror neurons tell you that we're right next to one another about four feet away. It's a very, very powerful thing, and this is precisely why we feel we, we personally know a television star or a movie star. Intellectually, we know we've never met that television star or movie star. But our mirror neurons fire when we see them on TV or the movies a lot and tell us that we do know them personally. So what this means for video is if you shoot video like we're doing right now, about four feet away from the audience, that doesn't mean necessarily four feet from the camera, but about four feet from the audience, Um, casual tone, look directly into the lens. Um, um, Don't use big words, you don't need huge, huge, high production values, um, and create interesting content. That's a super powerful way right now, for anybody to build fans on a minimum or even no budget um, as a way to grow business.
0: Excellent stuff, David. Appreciate those tips. So we were talking a little bit before we started recording um, and some of the notes we had down on why companies actually need to let go of their physical creations enabled to to be able to grow their fan base. Um, So perhaps you could shed a bit more light on what that actually means and and what we should let go of. Does that mean letting go of trying to pitch our products and things
1: like that, or is it something different? Um, it, there's a different, all, all different manifestations of this idea of letting go of your creations. Um, and it really comes from my love of the Grateful Dead. So the Grateful Dead was, were one of the only bands um, in history that allowed fans to record their concerts. Every other band says no, no recording allowed. The Grateful Dead said, sure, you can re- record our concerts, bring your recording gear in. And in the early days, people traded cassette tapes later on MP3 files. And that's what allowed the Grateful Dead's um, uh, music to spread is because people traded initially the tapes and later the, the the data files. And so they they built a massive fan base. And 55 years later, they're still touring. Not right now this year, but I saw them f- six times last year, 2019. Um, And so this idea of creating uh, information you can deliver for free, you're doing it right now with this show. Um, Haggerty does it with their YouTube channel, with their their database of car prices. Um, And if you create something with no expectation of anything in return and give it away completely free, That's a super powerful way to build fans. However, what most companies do is they expect something in return. Rather than providing their content for free, it's more of a coercion technique. And the, the biggest manifestation of that that I see is when a company creates a piece of content and then requires an email address to get the content. Sure. It's way better to put it out there for free, build the fan first and then try to sell them something. So I'm guessing
0: from all the points you've brought up so far, David, this is more of a long-term play than a a quick win. So if we're putting out these resources there.
1: Yeah, these ideas are not about how you're going to bring in new business tomorrow. Yes, they work to bring in new business tomorrow, but this really truly is a long-term play. And I don't know as much about um, the state of business in, in, in detail in other countries. I've, I've, I've presented in, uh, in-person in events in, in uh, nearly 50 countries. I've visited 107 countries, all seven continents. I lived in Asia for 10 years. I'm very much an internationalist, uh, but I've lived in the United States now for about 20 years, the last 20 years. And in this country, it's very much a quarterly business cycle. Um, all publicly traded companies have to report on a quarterly cycle um, and venture capital firm uh, companies, um, uh, uh, companies that are funded by venture capital have to report on a quarterly basis. Um, So we've developed, at least in this country, an approach to business that you have to show revenue every single quarter. Um, And that's tied people to wanna try to do whatever they can to bring in more revenue, more revenue, more revenue every quarter. It's only about revenue. And that means they're reluctant to invest into the long term. They're reluctant to invest in the kinds of things that we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes that will grow fans for the future. They're reluctant to invest in something that will allow them to have a sustainable business model for decades to come, like Haggerty Insurance has done, like the Grateful Dead has done the Harry Potter franchise even has done. Um, And instead, they're all about how can we get customers today to add to our quarterly numbers? Um, So, yeah, this is a long term play. And I think, um, Sam, that, you know, this pandemic, I think, has taught us that being kinder and gentler in our approach to business is a good thing. You know, constantly trying to focus on how you can extract the last penny of profit from every single customer. I don't know if that's sustainable. I mean, I just think, I just think that, you know, we humans are going through so much during this period of time. The twenty, the year twenty twenty has been difficult, and um, in my country, and I think in your country too, there's been a lot of polarization recently in the political process. I know there's polarization that's built into the social media platforms, especially Facebook. You know, Facebook has has drifted to be an evil place because what they're trying to do is get you to be part of a group of people and and to subscribe to weird conspiracy theories and, and other things that, that are truly dangerous. So the kinder and gentler you can be, the more you can build a tribe, the more you can make a happy place. And I know I'm sounding a little bit airy-fairy, kind of Northern California-ish now. I get that. but um, But it truly is a different way to approach business that can be super successful.
0: Yeah, and on that note, David, um, again, before we started recording this, we were talking a little bit about passion, um, how it can be infectious, and why your own passion, and if, if you work as part of a team, you've perhaps got colleagues or team members, um, their passion as well is is quite important to build up your fans, your fan base. Yeah. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on that side of things?
1: Passion. Yeah, your passion is really interesting because um, people are, um, are very, very much attracted to people who have passion. And interestingly, it's not necessarily passion for your company. It can be passion for the thing that you like to do in your private life. Um, So we've already talked about my passion for live music. I've been to 804 live music concerts since the age of 15. Um, In fact, yesterday, uh, as we're recording this, Uh, September 23rd, 2020, which was yesterday, was the 40th anniversary of Bob Marley's last concert, which was September 23rd, 1980 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I shot the only known photographs of that show. I was a 19-year-old college student. Oh, amazing. Um, And yeah, and those photos became historic. Um, Yesterday was a big day for me. It was some newspaper articles and whatnot about those photos. Um, and people who follow me know I'm passionate about live music. What does that have to do with what I do? Write books and give speeches. Not a whole lot, but they know I'm passionate about music, so they're attracted to me. Um, when Reiko and I studied this idea, the idea of how you can grow fans, one of the things that surprised us the most was how important this idea of passion is. It was really surprising to us how important. Um, that idea was, um, and because people are attracted to other people who have passion, we um, ran across a dentist. His name is Dr. John Murashi, and Dr. Murashi is a dentist in Southern California. and um, And Dr. Murashi met me at a Tony Robbins event. I speak at Tony Robbins Business Mastery events a couple of years ago, and I talked to the, about the idea of fandom. I talked about the idea of passion. He approached me after the, the talk and said. You know, David, I I hear you. I get I get what you're saying about this idea of passion, but I'm a dentist. I mean, what what are you what are you talking about? I mean, we just fix teeth. (laughs) So I said, well, Dr. Murashi, what do you love to do? And he said, well, I love to skateboard. And then I said, well, um, cool. Tell me a little bit about your dental practice. And he said, well, I'm a dentist in Southern California. There's 10,000 other dentists in Southern California. We all look the same. And I said, well, you would look different if you shared your passion for skateboarding. And that's exactly what he did. So Um, He puts skateboards on the wall of his dental practice. He skateboards from one examination room to the other. He has a website with pictures of him skateboarding on the website. He has an Instagram with, I think it's about 15,000 followers now, where there are images of him and videos of him skateboarding. And he contacted me a couple of months ago um, and said, David, since we met a couple of years ago, Um, you're, I've implemented this idea of just sharing my passion for skateboarding. And I've been able to measure that just that one switch in the way I do my business was responsible for a 30% growth in my new patients last year and a 23% growth in my revenue last year, directly attributable to the simple fact that I started to talk about how I love the skateboard and that separated me from every other dentist out there. I'm a business book author that loves live music, talks about it a lot. That separates me from other business book authors. So showcasing what you're passionate about is a super interesting way to grow fans.
0: That's awesome, man. And I love, I love that you like skateboarding being a, a skateboarder back in my youth as well. Uh, you, um, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> totally,
1: it's fascinating and uh, he's a good one too. I mean, I, I couldn't do anything near what he's doing.
0: <laughs> awesome, man! No, it's it's really great that you can take an industry where he thought that there wasn't anything particular interesting um for anyone that's outside of the dentist industry that, right. that would actually engage them, and then you gave him that thought that he could use his personal interest, and in, and it's it's kind of skyrocketed from there. By the sound of it, thirty percent growth. So it's, he's done a great yeah.
1: job with it. Yeah, great job.
0: Really good, and I'm sure it's a lot of food for thought for anyone in a similar industry, so they can take their own personal interests and use that from for any branding.
1: industry, absolutely any industry. I mean, that was something that was so interesting to Reiko and I as we were studying this. It doesn't matter. You know, he's a dentist. Um, you know, we talked about insurance. Um, we found a U.S. government agency, a U.S. government agency that has over 50 million fans. You can be walking down the street in any city in the world And not be surprised if somebody approaches you with wearing a T-shirt with the logo of this government agency. You know who I'm talking about, Sam? NASA. Yeah, it's NASA. Right, it's NASA. They're a U.S. government agency with fans all over the world. Um, So you know, U.S. government agency, dentist, doctor, lawyer, business-to-business software company, nonprofit, consumer products company. It doesn't matter. Anybody can grow fans.
0: Love it, man. Well, this, this has been great, David. I really appreciate your, your thoughts and cool. how we can apply this to, to our own businesses and how, to, how we can relate our personal lives as well to, to really encourage our followers, our fan base and, and make it happen, man. Um, and I
1: think, I, like to- I, um, I think, Sam, that it's... Per- I and mean, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but it's particularly poignant right now. You know, we're, a lot of us are are struggling, frankly, and some of us have businesses where it's been really tough because of the pandemic. And um, these ideas that I've shared and and other ones that are in our book, Fanocracy, are things that we can do right now um, to Position ourselves for the future. Yes, you can also grow revenue right now, but I'm, you know, looking forward to the day that I can give in-person speeches again. Event, uh, again, my uh, I've delivered hundreds and hundreds of in-person speech, speeches, forty, uh, nearly fifty countries so far. The last one I delivered was on March second of 2020. That's six months ago. Um, I can't wait till I get back to in-person speaking, but but I can build fans now. Everybody can build fans now so that when we emerge from this, you're that much stronger.
0: Yeah, I, I really, I've got a lot of time for it, David, and I'm all about the long-term play. Anyone who follows my stuff on LinkedIn knows I'm always talking about long-term strategies, be it digital marketing or, or yeah. otherwise. So I think that's definitely something that resonates with myself, and I'm sure a lot of, a lot of people tuning in have picked up some great t- tips. Awesome. So really, really appreciate it, dude. Um, yeah. David, I'd like to ask everyone that comes on, is there one digital marketing channel of choice that you think people should be on or be utilizing that's gonna help them from today?
1: Uh, Yes, there is one very particular digital channel that you should be on, and that's the one that you love the most. You know, people always say to me, David, should I be on Twitter or LinkedIn or YouTube or whatever it might be? And my answer is always, um, I can't tell you that. You know, what what do you love to do? Um, Do you love, to have conversations with people. Maybe you should be a podcaster. Do you love to engage with people? Maybe you should be focused on Twitter, Um, create videos, you know, like we're doing right now. You maybe create a channel where you can deliver a video podcast like this, um, or you can have a YouTube channel, whatever it is. Uh, Because the truth is that if you try to do something, you don't enjoy it, you won't keep up with it. You probably won't be very good at it. Do what you love to do.
0: What a great answer. Well, everyone, you've been tuning into Sam's Business Growth Show, where we sit down with business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We found out their story, how digital marketing has helped along the way, and their exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your sales and skyrocket your business. David, if you could thank just one person, either dead or alive, having a positive influence on yourself and your career, who would that be and why?
1: That's interesting. I would say my wife, Yukari, because she was the one who pushed me really hard to start my own business um when i lost my job when i was fired by Thomson reuters she's like david go out on your own you know um don't don't work for somebody else work for yourself and so i i really credit her with 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 pushing me in that direction
0: awesome man well david please do tell us a bit more about how everyone can learn from you how they can connect with you a bit more about your books and the best way people can get in touch
1: Sure, so if you're interested in these the ideas that we've been discussing today in this book, Fanocracy, Turning Fans into Customers and Customers into Fans, that I wrote with my daughter, um, we've got a website at www.fanocracy.com. You can check stuff out there. On the social networks, um, Twitter and, and, and Instagram and stuff, um, I am D. M. Scott, D-M-S-C-O-T-T, um, and I use my middle name, which is Mierman. So my full name is David Meerman Scott, D A B I D M E E R M M -M M-E-E-R-M-A-N, S-C-O-T-T. I'm the only David Meerman Scott on the entire planet. So if you Google me, you get me. And you can find out a lot more that way as well. Good man. Thank you once again, David. Thanks, Sam. It's been fun. Are you tired of
0: constantly hunting for new customers? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities, all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending lots of money on advertising, but your website is failing to convert all of your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of new customers. If you'd like to learn more about our unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you, connect with Sam Dunning on LinkedIn, or book a free 20-minute consultation via webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales and business growth tips from the experts.